On the 16th of May, the European Union will no longer require masks on airplanes. Many countries across the world have already started relaxed COVID restrictions. Places like Greece, New Zealand and Japan are gearing to drop all restrictions in time for summer tourism. So, is it finally time to go back to normal? At least to the normal we knew before the pandemic. Or has the coronavirus changed the definition forever? Are we going to continue to live in a new normal? The first signs of the virus were reported at the end of 2019. In March 2020, the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus a pandemic. And many countries began to put lockdowns in place and restrictions on travel. Although some had hoped 2021 would offer a slow return to normal, in May 2021, a surge in COVID-19 infections killed thousands. The world saw horrendous images coming out of places like India, where hospitals ran out of oxygen and crematoriums ran out of firewood. A lot has changed since. Other global events, like Russia's invasion of Ukraine, have taken priority in the news. But on the 12th of May, North Korea, a country that had claimed it maintained zero COVID infections since the beginning of the pandemic, announced its first case of COVID-19. A national lockdown was declared in a country that has refused international help and vaccinations. Meanwhile, China has faced criticism from the World Health Organization for trying to implement extensive lockdowns in what it calls a zero-COVID policy. Approximately 400 million people are considered to be under some level of lockdown in the country, including the big cities like Shanghai and Beijing. A virus doesn't care about world politics. The question many of us are increasingly asking now are, is this the end of this virus? Will it manifest itself like an average flu or will it get any more deadlier than it has been? This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Sohail Akram, and this week we're asking, is the pandemic over? Before we start, if you want to get all the latest from Beyond Headlines, hit subscribe in your podcast app. We are still in the middle of the pandemic of COVID-19, and this is not the time uh, to let our guards down. It's not the time to uh, lose the sight of the virus. Uh, there are still uh, many people uh, being infected around the world. Different countries are in uh, different stages uh, in their response against COVID-19. We understand very well uh, that uh, everyone is tired. Uh, we would like to see this pandemic over, but unfortunately, uh, we are not there yet. That is Dari Gesarevich, a spokesperson for the World Health Organization. He's not alone in voicing the sentiment that COVID-19 may be far from over. Towards the end of April 2022, some airlines in the United States lifted the requirement to wear masks on airlines and many people celebrated. But the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is against the idea of allowing people to travel without masks. Many scientists expressed their hesitation. But the decision to remove the mask mandate was given by a federal judge. In England, almost all COVID restrictions were lifted by mid-February. The British government said that citizens who tested positive will still be advised to stay at home for at least five days, but were no longer obliged to self-isolate. Sweden and Denmark are among some of the European countries that have also lifted all COVID restrictions, and in Switzerland, people no longer need to wear masks in most public places. But while a lot of countries have had successes in managing the pandemic, others have struggled. 
In March, the WHO criticized several European countries for abruptly easing COVID restrictions. The data it put out at that time showed the number of new COVID-19 cases was still on the rise in 18 of the region's countries. In a number of these places, including Germany, Britain, and France, cases rose after a more contagious subvariant of Omicron, known as BA2, took hold. Tarek says every country is a unique case. Well, every country has its own particular situation. So, uh, depending on the tools they have, depending on the epidemiological situation, depending on the level of immunization, uh, depending on uh, level of testing and treatments being available. Uh, so, it is uh, difficult to give a blanket judgment on that. Uh, we were always uh, saying that there should be a risk-based approach that countries should look into their uh, situation. Uh, and and make uh, necessary measures what is important uh, right now for all countries is to still uh, be agile to try to see how this virus evolves to keep testing so we can know where this uh, uh, pandemic is going right now this virus is still dangerous that's number one. number two, we don't know how this virus will evolve uh, it is important that at individual level we'll still try to minimize the risk of uh, uh, being infected or infecting uh, someone else so it is really important that we look at our situation where we live what's the epidemiological situation around us and how we can best uh, reduce that risk keeping distance uh, wearing uh, masks uh, avoiding crowded unventilated places uh, getting vaccinated uh, these are all the measures we can all take to try to reduce the risk of uh, being infected So what do we know about the evolution of this virus? Does a virus really die at some point or at least become less lethal, more like a common flu? To answer this, we spoke to Dr. Shahid Jamil, a virologist who was formerly the group leader of virology at the International Center for Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology in India. Viruses never disappear. They just go and hide in reservoirs where you don't know about them. There are only two viruses that have been eradicated so far. One is smallpox, and the other is rinderpest, which is a cattle virus. Both of those viruses have no other host except man in the case of uh, smallpox and uh, cattle hoofed animals in the case of rinderpest. Polio is another virus which is ripe for eradication. and polio also spreads among humans there is no known animal reservoir for viruses with animal reservoirs they don't disappear they just go and hide our immune system learns to fight with them and that's when pandemics epidemics outbreaks are over but they keep reemerging in other forms i mean they maybe they go back into an animal reservoir and mutate in that animal reservoir and then again jump into the human population and and cause uh, outbreaks so that's the way nature works now where are we in this pandemic i think this virus has more capacity to mutate and if you look at the mutations if you look at the variants that have arisen uh, at least the variants of concern they have all arisen independent of each other it's not like 
beta was developed from alpha and gamma developed from beta and delta developed from the previous ones or omicron from the others it has not been like that they've developed independently so it it tells us that the virus has the ability to mutate further but our immune system which has been primed with prior infection and uh, immunization has learned to deal with it and it will keep appearing in many forms uh, but hopefully we will be protected one caution i may add here is that this thinking going around that the virus is getting milder and milder may not actually be true uh it is possible that by random chance some mutations come in which cause the virus to maybe become more lethal we don't know that so we need to be careful since the beginning of the pandemic we have seen the covid-19 virus undergo a number of mutations and produce a variety of strains some more prominent transmissible and lethal than others including alpha beta delta and omicron but it is delta and then omicron which became more dominant strains by december 2021 omicron was causing daily case numbers in the united states to shoot to over a million so what made delta and then omicron so contagious dr jamil explains the evolution of the virus so far if you recall the first variant that emerged was alpha and the the second that came was beta in south africa and then gamma in brazil uh, alpha spread quite fast but uh, it didn't cause as severe an infection as delta caused which came later now uh, that is definitely linked to the changes that happened in the delta virus compared to the previous variants but uh, a lot of it was also because vaccination rates were very low at the time that delta arrived delta caused maximum damage in india and when delta arrived in india only 3% of the population was vaccinated and you know that was the case the world around low vaccination and that is why i feel that delta created a lot of havoc possibly if omicron had emerged at the time that delta emerged omicron could have caused similar damage we don't know that but when omicron appeared a lot of people around the world were already exposed to one or the other variant so there was some natural immunity and the vaccination percentage was high so uh, that could have played a role in mild disease uh, caused by omicron but omicron yes it was very transmissible and it spread widely for vaccinated healthy individuals the virus may not be as risky as it was before but there are many groups that remain vulnerable especially the elderly the immunocompromised patients with medical conditions and people from low income countries where access to vaccination is limited tarik says the world health organization cautions countries to have a risk based approach to covid well again we have to always look at a risk based approach uh, not all measures uh, could or should be applied in every setting in every country in in every particular situation so we need to really uh, look uh, 
uh, at the context and make appropriate measures. We know that uh, countries are trying to do best for their citizens. Uh, now, uh, what we are saying at WHO, this pandemic is still ongoing. There are still a number of places where many people are not vaccinated, many places where uh, uh, there is not enough uh, access to treatments, not enough access to testing. Uh, and we need to really uh, understand that uh, this virus is still evolving. It is difficult to predict what will happen next. What we want is to reduce to minimum the number of hospitalizations and deaths uh, due to COVID-19. There are more and more people around the world who have immunity by now, either uh, through uh, uh, acquiring uh, immunity through uh, infection or uh, vaccine-induced immunity. We want uh, that people have access to vaccines uh, across the globe, especially people uh, who are in a vulnerable groups, such as uh, elderly and those who have medical conditions. Still, there are 70 countries around the world who have vaccinated less than 40% of their population. There are countries who have vaccinated less than 10% of their population. We have to make sure that these people uh, are uh, protected and that uh, uh, tools that we have at our disposals uh, are available to everyone. While many countries have continued with large-scale testing to stop the spread of infection, the world's COVID-19 vaccination goals are not yet met. According to data collected by Bloomberg, more than 11.7 billion doses have been administered across 184 countries, with roughly 12.9 million doses given a day. But Tariq says there's still a lot more that needs to be done. Let me give you the, the figures. So uh, as of end of April, uh, there were 11.6 billion uh, vaccines that have been uh, administered globally. Uh, unfortunately, only 15% of those vaccines uh, have been administrated in low-income uh, countries, while uh, 69 countries have vaccinated less than 40% of their population, and 20 countries have vaccinated less than 10% uh, of, of their population. So first, we really have to put all our efforts in getting uh, vaccines to those places where there is unvaccinated population, especially uh, in vulnerable uh, groups. Now, when it comes of frequency of, uh, of vaccination, there is a, uh, enough of knowledge now to know that uh, um, immunity induced by vaccination uh, may vain over time, that the vaccines that we have are uh, less effective against uh, uh, new variants that are dominating uh, right now, uh, currently WHO do uh, recommend a, a third uh, dose of a vaccine for certain uh, populations. We have issued guidance on that. Uh, we have to really look uh, into evolution of COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 virus and be constantly on a look at how to best use the tools, including vaccines, uh, to reduce hospitalization and that, which is ultimate goal of the response. On 5th May, the World Health Organization said that nearly 15 million people were killed either by COVID-19 or by its impact on overwhelmed health systems during the first two years of the pandemic, more than double the current official death toll of over 6 million. But the WHO reported that many countries understated the number of deaths and infections. Dr. Samira Asma is the World Health Organization's Assistant Director General for Data, Analytics and Delivery. She explains. What we also reported today is that majority of these deaths occurred in Southeast Asia region, followed by Europe and the Americas. 
Majority of these deaths occurred among men than in women and also among people who are 60 years and older. This is extremely important information for anyone to have, especially policymakers and the public. We need to know the true toll of the pandemic. And excess death provide us that metrics uh, to assess the true impact of the pandemic. It is important for policymakers to use this information to design the right policy solutions. If we don't estimate properly, correctly, there is a risk that we underestimate. And when we underestimate, there are many chances for us to underinvest in public health. Another important reason is when we undercount, there is a big chance that we might miss where the right interventions are needed and we might exacerbate inequalities. And COVID has illuminated that there are significant data gaps. And this also highlights the urgent need for policymakers to invest in good data and health information systems. And finally, and most importantly, the tragic loss of lives. And we have to remember that behind these numbers are people. We conducted an assessment two years ago, and we found that six out of 10 deaths globally are not registered. And nine out of 10 deaths in Africa are not registered. It is also important for us to remember that over 70 countries do not have accurate cause of death reporting. The World Health Organization said that in India, there were 4.7 million COVID deaths which is 10 times the official figure. But soon after its 5th May report, the Indian government questioned the estimate, saying it had concerns about the methodology in reaching the numbers. The WHO stands by its estimates. Dr. Samira explains why. It is also important for us to remember that over 70 countries do not have accurate cause of death reporting. And as you know, that we needed to know the direct and indirect impact of COVID pandemic. And to assess that, we needed information on deaths and causes of deaths. And we have seen that countries have lack of capacity. And this lack of capacity is a result of longstanding lack of investments in data and health information systems. So this truly is a clarion call for all governments to invest in civil registration and vital statistics, and also good integrated surveillance systems and health information systems. If there are signs that should tell us that governments should not rush into removing all the COVID-19 restrictions, it's these sounds from Shanghai. These are sounds of residents in Shanghai banging pots and pans to protest against COVID-19 lockdown. And these scenes are not from 2020 or 2021. They're from 29th April, 2022. China's financial capital again went into a lockdown after a wave of new infections. Some 25 million people in Shanghai have lived under strict lockdown since the beginning of April. The city was wrecked by Omicron variant infections because it spread so easily. And this Omicron variant 
is called BA2. But it's not just China. Scientists have blamed the rise in world cases on the new Omicron BA2 variant, which they say is about 30% more contagious, but not more dangerous. Dr. Jamil explains what we know so far about this variant. Well, the most prevalent strain that is circulating now the world over is what we call Omicron as a family of viruses. Omicron, as you know, has diversified into BA.1 and BA.2. It is actually BA.2 that that has taken over uh, much rapidly than BA.1. Even within uh, BA.2, another subvariant has arisen, which is called BA.2.12.1, which interestingly has incorporated some of the mutations that we saw earlier in Delta. So there is some cause for concern. Uh, There are two other variants that have emerged recently in South Africa. Uh, That's called BA.4 and BA.5, again, Omicron subvariants. And uh, they are spreading quite well in South Africa and now several other uh, countries. According to the Geneva-based public health nonprofit FIND, the rate of testing in high-income countries is around 96 times higher than in low-income countries. This may be a worry. As Tariq Esarovich told us earlier, the pandemic isn't over yet, and we're already seeing indications of some countries giving up on large-scale testing. Health experts say testing has dropped 70 to 90% worldwide from the first to the second quarter of this year the opposite of what they say should be happening with new Omicron variants on the rise. Dr. Jamil says there's no substitute for testing. Because if we don't measure it, we don't understand it. We fly blind. Uh, And it's been shown in several places that if you do frequent rapid testing, it's actually more accurate than those single RT-PCRs. RT-PCRs are expensive. They require expertise. Rapid tests can be done at home. Uh, So I think the way to go forward is to do rapid testing frequently. The moment you think you have something, test it. Hopefully you're negative, but if you're not, you know that. How the virus behaves next is not in our hands. But what is in our hands is to continue testing, to continue wearing face masks and root for a fast, equitable distribution of vaccines around the world. The worst of the pandemic, hopefully, is behind us, but Tariq says we cannot let our guard down. It is very difficult to predict uh, the future. We need to do everything we can to bring this disease to the level where we will not have as many hospitalizations and deaths. And for that, we need to use in the most efficient way tools we have, vaccines, tests, treatments. We need to tailor public health and social measures to the context and to the particular situation. People should individually do everything they can to reduce the risk. Uh, And if we collectively get to the point uh, where our resources are used in the best possible way, where we all act responsibly individually and at the government level, 
but also at the uh, level of manufacturers of vaccines and other tools, we can get to the situation where this uh, virus will not uh, do the same damage as it was doing in the last two years. You have been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I have been your host, Sohail Akram. Thanks this week to Tariq Yasarovich and Dr. Shahid Jamil. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button in your favorite podcasting app. This week's episode was produced by Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison. Thanks for listening.